Voice of St. Louis original podcast. Well, let's take off with all the news you need to know from across the region in this edition of the St. Louis All Local from KMOX. Today is Monday, January 29th. I'm Michael Calhoun, our top local story. With a private company bringing drone surveillance to St. Louis next week, do people have legal protections from being filmed? The company's business model is simple. Fly drones over St. Louis neighborhoods to conduct surveillance and charge a fee to access that surveillance. KMOX legal analyst Brad Young says that business model sets up the owner for legal action. Under both state and federal law, individuals have what's called a right to publicity. That right to publicity is just a right to control your own identity as it's used for commercial purposes. Young explains this does not apply to news programs because that's covered under fair use. However, if it's used for commercial purposes, a person filmed has a right to compensation. If a person's image is being used for commercial purposes other than news, then the individual who's being filmed or videoed has a right to to have compensation for that image. The company SMS Novel was supposed to conduct training in Forest Park on Saturday, which they are not permitted to do. After attempting to track them down, founder Jomo Johnson confirmed to KMOX they had moved their training to an undisclosed location and would not speak with the media until after their test run in St. Louis on Monday. Sean Malone, KMOX News. St. Louis Alderman Bretton Orion is working on a bill to eliminate what he calls a flaw in the fire department retirement system. Currently, those who join before the age of 25 must work more than the required 30 years of service before obtaining their full pension because they also need to reach the age of 55 to do so. Alderman Ryan says this impacts a couple dozen firefighters currently. There's 38 individuals who are going to fall in what, what I'll call a, a gap in between their 30 years of service, but they won't have yet reached the age of 55 because they got onto the fire department before they were 25 years old. Ryan's bill would only require 30 years of service for those who joined before turning 25. His bill could be voted on in committee as early as Thursday. A $150,000 cash-only bond is set for the former town and country cop accused of sexually abusing his adopted teenage daughters. A Jefferson County judge ordered the bond with conditions this morning. If Jordan Fowle gets out on bond, he must make no contact with the victims, be under house arrest and wear a GPS monitor. His next hearing is set for March 1st. Working traffic accidents on interstates is stressful for police. Lieutenant Jonathan McIntosh with Creefcore Police Department says officers think about cars whizzing by them more than bullets. We have more injuries every year and the law enforcement and emergency responder family by people getting struck by cars than assaults that cause death and injury to officers. And just this past weekend... A Creefcore police SUV was struck by a drunk driver while it blocked 270 for an accident where a driver was also drunk. No officers were hurt, but the police vehicle is a total loss of $70,000. Stuart McMillan, KMOX News. Boeing on the hot seat. It's an important week for Boeing and its chief executive. Its CEO, Dave Calhoun, will discuss the financial fallout from the blowout of a panel on an Alaska Airlines jet earlier this month. Since that incident, Calhoun has admitted Boeing shortcomings in meetings with lawmakers and employees. One big Boeing customer is reportedly considering ditching Boeing 737 MAX. CNBC says United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby has begun early talks Talks with Airbus and United may acquire more Airbus A321 Neo Jets. Kimberly Adams, Bloomberg Radio. Now that Missouri's film tax credit is back in action, what sort of impact could it have on production in the region? Locally, one nonprofit is working to help get St. Louis back on the map as a place to shoot TV, film, and commercials. Executive producer and co-founder of STL Filmworks, Mary Kay Sheets. 
have been really known uh, often as that flyover state and really known um, also for our commercial work in the media and digital media. Um, and what we do and, and often are not known of uh, as the extent of our talent here and our locations and so forth. So we as St. Louis Filmworks, you know, we, we're also educating constantly about the level of skill that we have here, the other organizations that are here to help the industry. For more of the conversation, you can go to our Total Information AM podcast page at KMOX.com. I'm Tom Ackerman, KMOX News. Safety first, that's the reaction of Zane Truman of St. Louis Hockey Training to the new USA Hockey requirement that youth players wear neck guards during games. As for player complaints, that they're uncomfortable. As they become mandatory, like there's more money that gets put into that piece of equipment. So yes, I think that will continue to progress um, and make them more comfortable, easier to wear, all the all the things that we want to see in hockey. The new requirement comes after a player bled out on the ice last year in England after getting a skate blade to the neck. The KMOX business desk business interests are lining up behind the revamping of Lambert Airport from two terminals into one big new one. Greater St. Louis Inc. released a report today saying the airport supports 100,000 jobs, which could jump to 134,000 by 2032, but only if STL doesn't fall behind. You form an impression about the place based on the experience. Is it easy? Is it clean? Is it logical? Um, we want people to have an amazing experience as soon as they, they land in St. Louis because it's only going to increase their confidence to stay here longer. Competitors like Nashville, Kansas City, and Salt Lake City have already revamped their airports. Welcome back. I'm Megan Lynch. The National Geospatial Intelligence Agency wants help to solve a problem. NGA just launched a $1 million prize challenge. They're soliciting new ways to use unclassified data to forecast illegal, unregulated, and illicit fishing. With me now, Dr. Mike Brady, R&D scientist with NGA Research and Development. Thank you so much for joining me. Yep, happy to be here. Thank you. How big of an issue is illegal fishing that it prompted this competition? Yeah, so um, illegal fishing or illegal unreported and unregulated fishing has emerged as the leading global maritime security threat. So, of course, it's food security, but from a national security lens, uh, IUU fishing undermines national sovereignty, economic security, and also challenges global rules-based order. Uh, and NGA is a leader in maritime domain awareness, so this is um, one issue that we assess. And um, we do uh, public challenges like this to tap into uh, what's happening in commercial and academic circles. This complements our uh, traditional, more traditional capabilities acquisition process. That's what I was going to ask is how is this a geospatial issue? Yeah, so um, NGA is in the business of creating what's called geospatial intelligence, or GEOINT for short. GEOINT tells us where something happens and when. And in this case, we're looking to anticipate where illegal fishing will occur. And uh, much of what NGA does is what we call anticipatory analysis. Uh, this allows us to get ahead of national security uh, threats before they occur. So what are the parameters of the competition? What, what will participants have to show you to possibly win this prize? The challenge is to forecast illegal fishing. But really what we're asking in this challenge is for participants to forecast where fishing and how much fishing will occur. Um, so it's 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 more about the intensity of fishing so we have baseline data of where fishing occurs based on vessel behavior and other parameters um the forecasts will allow us to see you know um 
see how well uh, the participants can can forecast against a, a, a real baseline. And we're also asking for, in addition to the forecast fisheries, we're looking for uh, innovative ways to put those data information into useful context uh, to allow analysts to be able to sift through, you know, uh, does this look like legitimate or illegitimate fishing? An example is something that's baked into the way we're evaluating, evaluating the challenge is, um, you know, summarizing fishing activity in relevant fisheries management zones, such as uh, exclusive economic zones that uh, are managed by coastal states. That's something that provides some context, but we're very open to innovative ideas on how to systematically uh, provide context for these forecast fishery uh, data. Um, so there's the forecast. We're, we're collecting real data from participants on forecasts. We're evaluating them against a baseline. And we're also collecting what's called concept of operations. This is basically an explanation of the capability, and we're going to be grading that using a rubric. So collectively, the quantitative forecast, this, this, this write-up of the capability, we have an interagency panel of experts that's going to evaluate uh, those, and they're going to help us. Uh, so it's a two-phase challenge. Uh, the interagency panel is going to help us identify up to 10 finalists uh, that will be invited to go on to phase two. Uh, that's going to culminate in a pitch event to the interagency panel where we're going to hear solutions and identify first, second, and third place winners. Once someone might win this challenge, is this a model then that the NGA would use in the future? That's a good question. So we, we don't know what we're going to get yet. So that's the determination we make after we start seeing uh, some solutions. And of course, you know, we're interested in the best solutions. So we'll take a look at who wins and we'll, we'll go from there in terms of, um, you know, wh what do we have here? What do we want to do with these, these capabilities going forward? The DOD um, does challenges like this to promote open government and innovative solutions uh, so uh, here we're, you know, we're offering for the, the I mentioned there are two phases in the challenge. Uh, the top, top 10 finalists are going to get $25,000 a piece for, for being finalists. And then the overall winner is first, second, and third. First is going to get $500,000, second, $200,000, and third place, $50,000. So in terms of the, the, the large amount, you know, this one thing we also do with, you know, a public challenge like this is we send a, a message to industry and, and others that, you know, this is an area we're interested in, so it's got it has a lot to do with uh, with partnerships in addition to, um, you know, addressing this this national security problem. So, when it comes to who you would expect to enter, who are you hoping to hear from that might have some of these solutions? Really, that's something. Again, partnerships. We uh, uh, doing a challenge like this allows us to identify uh, new new innovators that aren't uh, currently in the uh, NGA. R&D circle. Um, so really, that's something that we're looking forward to learning. But it's open to, as you mentioned, U.S.-owned companies. We're um, interested in what U.S. Uh, citizen students can do and also U other U.S.-based private industry and academic organizations. The key here is that participants need to be have an active uh, registration in SAM.gov. Um, but that's something that we want to learn. We're really looking forward to uh, not only seeing the traditional uh, actors in this space, but also uh, networking and partnering with, with new new solvers. Well, I would assume that these awards then for some of these individuals might actually provide some of that seed money they might need to develop systems they want to? 
Yeah, that was part of the initial thinking of this with the first phase to provide $25,000. You know, I can see especially students um, can use that money to acquire more data or other resources to be competitive in, in phase two. So certainly, you know, we hope that that money would go to further investing in the capability. Again, now we're, we're sending a signal, but we're also providing some, I think, additional structure to our industry and academic partners that helps kind of um, the research they're doing is more aligned to NGA's mission. So it helps kind of coordinate in general our engagements with these external partners. Mike, what is the first deadline for this? Yeah, so the first deadline, so the first phase kicked off on 8 January, so we're, we're in phase one. Uh, phase one ends on uh, 1 March, so that's where we collect all the forecasts, we, we collect the uh, capabilities description and the concept of operations. But for potential participants that may be listening, the very first really important deadline is 16 February. That's when the first set of forecasts are going to be collected. Um, uh, the whole challenge uh, we're, should be wrapped up by the summer, so phase two is going to go through uh, um, we'll, we'll be announcing winners then, and the deadlines will be uh, uh, sometime in spring. That is Dr. Mike Brady, R&D scientist with NGA Research and Development, joining us on KMOX. I'm Michael Calhoun. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe and stay up to date by searching for St. Louis All Local on your favorite app. <laughs>